0: Hey, good morning, my friends. This is kind of different, right? This isn't what we usually do. But I think it'll be kind of fun and exciting. Today's sermon is going to be about God's faithfulness to his people during the time of Noah. Has anyone here ever heard the story of Noah and the ark? Probably almost all of you, right? Okay. Yeah, we've read it in our Bibles, and maybe our mommies and daddies have told it to us. Okay, but we're going to talk about God's faithfulness. What does that mean? What does it mean if I say that God is faithful? We praise the Lord Lord because he's faithful. But what does faithfulness mean? Does anybody know? What does it mean? he keeps his promises. That's a great answer. Yes. He does keep his promises because he's faithful, right? Faithfulness means God does what he says he's going to do. So, be listening during the story today for all the ways that God does what he says he's going to do, and we will see how he is faithful. Now, I have the story written out here on a piece of paper. Where did I get the story from? God's True word, the Bible, right? Yes. But I've changed it a little bit, which is a very dangerous thing to do. But let me tell you why I changed it. I left some words out. Do you see the blanks? Because I need you guys to help me tell the story. Okay? So if I pause like this and look at you meaningfully, that's where you get to pitch in. Ready? After the time of Adam and Eve, many more people were born on the earth. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, that every thought and intention of their heart was only evil all the time. He was sorry that he had made man on the earth. That's not something we talk about a lot, right? But God is saddened by our sinfulness, and he saw that the sinfulness in the world was great. He decided to clean the earth of the sinfulness because he was sorry that he had made them. But there was one man who found favor in the eyes of God. His name was Noah. Noah Noah was a righteous man who walked with God. Does that mean that he literally walked beside God? No. It means that he obeyed God and he loved God, right? Right? So God said to Noah, I'm about to destroy the earth. You need to make for yourself a, a, an ark made of wood. Make the ark with rooms. That was a big deal. I'm going to bring a what on the earth? A flood. There, some of you know what's coming, but I'm not there yet. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth. You, your wife. Your sons and your sons' wives need to go on the ark. Bring how many of every kind of animal? Two. Two of every kind of animal onto the ark with you. I will save you. Bring one male and one female and keep them alive. That's important. It actually says that. Keep them alive. Some of you know how hard that can be, right? Keep them alive. Get food for yourselves and for the animals. I'm going to flood the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, let's see God's faithfulness. Let's see how he does what he says he's going to do. You ready? Noah obeyed God, and he did everything that God had commanded him. He built an enormous ark, and he filled it with every type of animal and lots of food, and then he and his family entered into the ark. God himself closed the door behind them, and then... Here's what I picture. I picture like raindrops, right? Some raindrops and then more raindrops. Listen to what the Bible actually says happened. This is incredible. The fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. This is like water coming from everywhere and the earth was flooded for 40 days and 40 nights, it flooded so much that the mountains were covered with water. Question for you, did God forget about Noah in the midst of the flood? No, No. God is faithful. He said he would save them, right? He remembered Noah and the animals and Noah's family in the ark. He never forgets his people. He is faithful to them just as he said he would be. He ended the flood just when he said he would after 40 days and 40 nights. God is faithful. He sent a powerful wind to blow across the earth. Now here I have a little picture for you guys to see. Imagine being on this boat with the water coming from below and above and covering the earth but god did not forget his people he sent a wind and he blew it he closed the fountains from the deep he stopped the sky from pouring and then it took a long time for that water to go away god gave noah patience but he kept taking care of the people and the animals in the ark after a long while the ark came to rest on the top of a what a mountain you guys do know this story. Noah opened the window and sent out a, what? Got a lot of different kinds of birds being named. The first time it was actually a raven. Someone said crow. It's a lot like a crow, a big black bird, okay? But the raven just did what? Flew around in circles. Why? Why? the water hadn't gone away enough yet there was nowhere for it to land it couldn't rest anywhere so it came back to the ark and noah put his hand out and brought it back into the ark again a week later noah opened the window, window and he sent out you're right a dove. a dove the dove flew around it could not find any rest so it came back and noah brought it back into the ark a week later noah opened the and sent out the dove. This time, the dove brought something back. What? An olive leaf. Who told the dove to bring back an olive leaf to Noah? God. Why? Why? Yes, to give Noah hope that the water was going down. The trees were sticking up out of the water again, right? Another week passed, and Noah opened the window you guys could tell the story at this point and sent out a dove, dove. what happened this time the dove, didn't come back. the dove didn't come back it had found rest right the waters had gone down god was faithful he was providing land again for the people to live on listen to this though god gave noah great patience to wait even longer noah did not leave the ark for another month. He didn't want to leave that ark until God told him it was time to leave the ark. When God did finally say, it's safe, he opened up the door and Noah, his family, and all the animals came out. And what is the first thing that they did? They made a sacrifice. Here they are in the picture all so happy to be out of that ark after so long, I can't imagine it was very nice in there anymore. They came out of the ark, and Noah built an altar, and he praised God for his faithfulness. Boys and girls, when we see God's faithfulness, our hearts want to praise him, because he is so good. He deserves our worship and our praise. Sometimes it makes me cry, because I'm so excited for you to see The greatness of our God, he is faithful. He kept his promises to Noah in his day, and he keeps his promises to us still today, right? You guys were great listeners. You can go back to your seats, and we're going to hear how Mr. Gerber applies this to our hearts, okay?
1: We are celebrating as a family and what a great opportunity for us as we do that and um, I'm excited this morning. Uh, last week we had uh, Travis, one of our deacons, teaching and this week uh, get to see. Uh, we're going to hear from Dan Gerber, another one of our deacons. I've known Dan for a while. I think the first time I ever met Dan, he was on an opposing quiz team. Um, when we first started our program up after many years of hiatus here at, uh, at that time, Highland Bethel, and um, I remember watching Dan quiz for Pine Hills saying, man, that guy's pretty good. Um, Dan has had a passion for the Word. Uh, Dan's gone to Moody and spent some time studying there, and uh, I'm excited to hear what the Lord shares with us through Daniel this morning as he teaches us on uh, Daniel. It goes through uh, Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9. I gave him this huge passage and I said, Good luck. Um, You got about 30 minutes. So, anyway, so Daniel, if you want to come on up and and share with us. Um, So, I'm
2: excited to be here this morning, a little bit, a little bit nervous too. Um, It's a privilege to get to share the Word of God, and so my prayer has been that I'd be faithful in presenting truth this morning. So, we're in this theme of the drama of redemption, and so um, we come to the narrative uh, in Genesis, and we see this story of Noah. And before we begin, I wanted to just take a minute and remind us of a, a couple of things that struck me that kind of are a backdrop, some lenses that it's important to remember as we approach this story. The first is, we've talked about this, I think, uh, the last two weeks, is that the story is about God. It's about God and how he will bring glory to himself through his creation. God creates the world and he orders it. God creates plants and animals to fill this world. God creates man in his own image and places him in a garden that he created. And God walks with man in that garden. God confronts Adam and Eve's sin. And God provides the skins of an animal to cover their nakedness. And while we are an integral part of the story of redemption, we're not the main character. God is. The second thing I want us to keep in mind is God is outside of time and our created order, and yet he acts in time and in our created order. It's easy to forget as we see the story play out and God acts in time that his plan of re- redemption for the world was established before the foundation of the world. God does not make rash decisions based on man- in response to man's reckless and sinful behavior. His plan of redemption was thoughtful, and it was intentional, and it was a plan that was established before the world began in the Council of the Trinity. So with these two things... The stories about God, and remember God is wholly other than who we are. We're going to jump in. So my goal this morning, um, I really appreciate Julie having that overview because um, I want to paint a big picture and connect a lot of things together, so we're not going to talk about a lot of the details in the text this morning, unfortunately. Um, My goal this morning is to look at the story of Noah and the flood in the greater picture of God's redemptive plan to the end that we would more clearly see the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and that our faith would be strengthened in Christ. So that's the goal, and we're going to look at this in an overview of Genesis chapter 6 through 8 and connect the story of Noah to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 where Peter talks about the imagery of... Um, of Noah related to baptism and then we're going to round out with our application in Hebrews chapter 11 to strengthen our faith. So the main point this morning, most of us of course have heard uh, have some sort of picture in our head of the story of Noah or song and it's usually some sort of cute picture related to animals traipsing through lush fields two by two right? It's a children's story But the reality is that the story of Noah and the flood is not really a cute story. It's a dark time in history. The world is full of sin and violence. And when the animals come to the ark, it's a sign of impending judgment on the world. But the main point of Genesis chapter 6 through 8 isn't God's destruction of the world, but that God remembered Noah. And it's here that we are pointed towards the one who would come and take the Father's wrath on his shoulders and cry out, It is finished. And three days later, he would rise from the grave and be seated at the right hand of God, conquering sin and death. And that is Jesus Christ. So as we approach the word this morning, would you bow and pray with me? Father it is good together, gather together as your people. To open up your word and to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray this morning that I would speak the words that you've given me, that they would be your words and not my own. I pray for all of us here that our ears would be opened and that we would hear the truth that you have to speak to us this morning, that we would see Jesus more clearly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start there in verse 5 and get a quick snapshot of what's going on in the world. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we'll start there. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made him. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In our theme of the drama of redemption, we come to Noah. His name means to give rest. And as the descendants of of Adam multiplied on the earth, sin multiplied as well. The wickedness of man is evident on the earth. And the problem of sin that we see here is that it permeates the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Sinful behavior comes out of a heart that is sinful. Though the earth is full of sinful behavior, God's primary concern is that every intention of man's heart was continually evil. Next, we see that God's heart is grieved by sin. If your translation uses the word regretted as mine does, you've probably got the wrong idea of regret, as in remorse. The Hebrew word here connotates Not regret, but sorrow and pain associated with grief. Though God is the one who established the consequence for sin, he is deeply grieved over the sinful estate that man's in, a world full of violence and sin, and it breaks his heart. See, God is not second-guessing his decision to create the world, nor is he looking for an opportunity to start over and try plan B. Remember, God purposed before the foundation of the world his plan to send Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. It was because God loved us that he sent his son into the world. John 3, 16 and 17 tell us that it was his love that motivated him to send his son into the world, not to condemn it, but to save it through him. God's heart is moved with grief over the unrepentant and sinful hearts of the world that he created. But know this, God will judge sin. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. The reality is that God could have struck Adam down the moment that he sinned in the garden. And an even more deserving candidate would be Adam's son, Cain. But we see that God is patient with Adam, and he's patient with Cain, and he deals with them mercifully. Nevertheless, God's patience will not last forever, and he will judge sin. So the overview of the rest of chapter 6 is, amidst all this, God finds favor with Noah. God warns Noah about the impending judgment through a worldwide flood and commands him to build an ark so that he and his family might be saved. There are few people in Scripture who are spoken of in such glowing terms as Noah is. He's a man who's righteous, who's blameless, and who the Scripture says walked with God. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear to us that Noah is commended for his faith in God. It's not simply that Noah believed in God, but that he believed God. He believed what God said and that God would do what he said he would do. And we see that that faith in God is what led Noah to obedience. And at the end of chapter 6 and verse 22, we have this profound statement. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. So we have this sight to behold, right? There's a stir in the neighborhood. An absolutely monstrous boat is sitting in the middle of dry land, belonging to the one man in the world who doesn't fit in with everybody else. Right? Oh, wait. And then the animals start showing up, two by two. Not just a few, but all of the animals that Adam named show up to this ark. It's an amazing story, but I want us to grasp the theme that's going through, and there's a, a literary structure in chapter 7 through 8 that is very important to understand what the thrust of the passage is. It's called a chiasm. Now, I'm not one who's super familiar with these literary devices, so it wasn't until I started digging into commentaries that this really jumped out at me. But when it did, I was struck with the profound nature of the structure of this passage and what it points to. So, probably asking, well, what is a chiasm? Well, a chiasm is simply a repetition of similar ideas in reverse sequence. A repetition of similar ideas in reverse sequence. So let's talk about an example, right? A sandwich is a great example of what a chiastic structure is. Right? You start with your bread, there's mustard on top of the bread, and then you have a delicious piece of meat on top of that. Then you put another also delicious piece of meat on that, you top it with mustard again, and you finish with bread. The sandwich generally isn't about the bread, right? It's what's between the bread that's the main focal point of the sandwich, am I right? It's the savory meat in the middle that it points to, but you can't have a sandwich without bread. Now, we can argue with the pieces that are in that sandwich after the service. But I hope you get the idea of what the structure is. So we have parallel terms that, that walk us up to a pinnacle moment in the passage and then also reinforce that as they come back down. And so that's the structure of Genesis chapter 7 and 8. And I want to give us an overview so that we see this, so that we understand the main thrust of the passage, which is chapter 8, verse 1. So let's start out. Okay, our first point is that there's seven days of waiting. Chapter 7, verse 4, God tells Noah to enter the ark and wait for seven days. It's reiterated that he did this in verses 7 through 10, and that Noah obeys what God commanded. Notice that the door of the ark stays open for seven days before the flood comes. So our first point, our first step in moving up to the central point of the passage in 8.1 is seven days of waiting. Then there's 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Again, going back to verse 4, we see that after seven days of waiting, uh, God says that there will be 40 days and 40 nights of rain on the earth. This is reiterated again in verse 17, when God shuts the door and it happens. There's 40 days and 40 nights of rain on the earth. And then scripture tells us in verse 24, our third point. Seven days of waiting, 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and then we have 150 days where the water covered the surface of the earth. And it continued to cover the surface of the earth for that time. So we have three points leading up to the main point in chapter 8, verse 1. And here we read the central theme in the story of Noah and the flood, and that is this. God remembered Noah and all the animals on the ark with him. Now we see parallel terms that are going to walk us back down as we see God's grace and mercy poured out on Noah and his family. As we had 150 days of water covering the surface of the earth, God causes a wind to blow on the earth. The rain stops, the fountains of the deep are closed and after 150 days the water that covered the earth has now receded and the ark comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat Now our parallel to the 40 days is that Noah waits for 40 days The dove that Noah sent out the dove and the raven that Noah sent out returned because there wasn't any dry ground yet So after 40 days of waiting Again, Scripture talks about this period of seven days that Noah waited. And it's the last parallel in this chiasm that appears in chapter 7 through 8. The dove that Noah sent out returned because there was no dry ground. So Noah waited seven days and sent her out again, and this time she returned with an olive branch. And Noah knew that the land was dry. The pinnacle of the chiasm points us to the main point of the story of Noah. And that is that God remembered Noah. This is significant not because it diminishes God's judgment against sin in any way, but because it gives us hope. There are two things that we see here. In the midst of God pouring out his wrath against sin, he gives grace to Noah and preserves his life the structure of this passage points us to the fact that God would not just punish sin. He would raise up a nation out of Noah from which his son would come to live and die and deliver us from our sin. If You guys will turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 18. This is the baptism connection, and this struck me. And I want to connect this for us. You might be thinking, okay, it's a great idea. But are you sure? Are you sure that's really what the passage is talking about, Daniel? And, and the answer that I've come to is yes. Yes, it is. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we have such an awesome picture as Peter talks about the flood and Noah. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Now look here, Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So Peter makes the point to us, as God has already said, the problem with man's sin is in his heart, not primarily with his behavior, because his behavior comes out of a heart that is sinful. And so Peter makes the connection that the story of Noah and the flood is a type of what would come in baptism. Our salvation isn't simply removal of dirt from the body, a a removal of our sinful behavior. It's an appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for a clean conscience before him. Corinthians talks about the fact that we're a new creation in him. And we thank God through Jesus Christ that he has made a way for us to be saved. So the question for me is, what's the application? What does it mean for us? It's a good story. It's great to see this theme stretched out, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? And the application that I've been struck with over and over and over again is this. Strengthen your faith in Christ. As we, have, as we observe God's character in the story of Noah, what does it mean? In Hebrews chapter 11, we see a list We call it the Hall of Faith. Noah is a part of that. Men and women who were noted and commended for their faith in God. It's a great list. And at the end of this list, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 39, we are given a summary statement that all of these men and women had faith that God would do what He said He would do in making a way of salvation for His people, even though they died... (laughs) before they got to see the culmination of this in Jesus Christ. And so we see that we also are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, along with Noah, in the same faith that he had. So what does this mean for us? Well, if we continue in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. What this means for us is that we must fix our eyes on Jesus in order that our faith in him might increase. This is what Noah is commended for, for he didn't simply believe in God. He didn't believe things about God. He believed God. He believed what God said and that he would also do what he said. And so his faith led him to obediently do what God commanded him. To illustrate this, I wanted to close with an excerpt from a sermon that I heard. It's by Art Azuda from Trinity Church in Portland and I've listened to this uh, several times over the last two months and it's had... A significant impact on my perspective on what true and authentic faith is and I wanted to share that with you as we close to get a picture because I feel like I just I couldn't do a better job of summarizing it so my hope in sharing this is that just as no one believed God so also we would be encouraged to strengthen our faith so let me read this what is authentic faith is it the cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it? A holy hoping for the best? Is this how you think of faith? Authentic faith is the confident assurance in events not seen. Faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is not a mindless stab in the dark. It's not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. It's not a leap. Into apparent nothingness. It is a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, and intentional thought. Thought upon what? Thought upon God and His promises. If you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you did not possess such certainty. That is what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. Positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith is not merely believing in God. It is believing God, taking God at his word and living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what he said he will do. His speaking is His doing. It is an abiding assurance in God and His promises that animates you to persevere in your obedience to Him. Do you wish to be a more consistently obedient, steadily persevering Christian? A stronger Christian? A more courageous and outspoken Christian? Your faith, Instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. You expand your understanding of the object of your faith, and faith itself will obediently follow. The object of your faith, if indeed you are a Christian, is Jesus Christ and all of his promises. Is your faith weak? It's owing to the fact that you don't understand the object of your faith well enough. But when Jesus becomes progressively bigger, better yet, your understanding of who he is progressively conforms to reality, your faith will become increasingly stronger. But how does this happen? How does this happen? It happens by immersing yourself in the faith-arousing word of God. Read of Jesus Christ. The same power, the same word that long ago brought the universe to life is the same word that can bring you to life and furnish you with a faith that is truly and authentically Christian. So my prayer this morning in the story of Noah is that we would see that God remembered Noah and that through Noah, he made a way for his people to be saved in Jesus Christ. I pray that as we observe this story and we see God's character and his faithfulness, his patience illustrated, that we would be encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and that our faith would be strengthened in him. Let's pray. Father, your loving kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given to us and you've preserved for us and that we can read of Jesus, that we can know who he is and that we can see the story of of your redemptive plan for the world played out in this book that we can have and hold, that we can touch and feel. Lord, would we be reminded and strengthened that you will do what you say you will do. And you have said that you will be faithful to us. Praise you for your mighty works. In Jesus' name, amen.